0: As always, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, when I walk through the door, I was telling Ashley I walked through the door, and the same thing happens. Every time I come through that door, I'm like, why do I not show up here more often? <laughs> it feels so good. It is so good to be here, and to be with you this morning. And uh, you all always welcome me, and I really appreciate the love and the warmth that you all have created Uh, in this community that I get to be a part of. So I thank you for that. It's such a gift and a blessing. I'm sure you all know we have a holiday on the way. There's a very important day coming up in December where there are celebrations and gifts and singing and food and such, and it's lovely. But I want to talk to you about another important day in December. December 21st. That is when we experience the winter solstice. The winter solstice is when there is the least light and the most darkness in a day. Now in the pagan tradition, the winter solstice is celebrated as a time of the rebirth of the sun. It's a time to celebrate goddess energy, moon energy, a time to remember the feminine aspects of the divine, nurturing, gentleness, gracefulness, ease. And as followers of the way of Christ, we can appreciate this special time and learn from it. Long ago, before electricity was available in homes, people often went to bed earlier, since darkness came earlier. Winter was a time of greater rest. Now we can have light 24 hours a day, and perhaps we've gotten away from allowing the season to influence our routine in this way. You know, I heard a news story recently about how folks in Norway handle the long, dark winters there. Now instead of them finding the winters dark and depressing, they use winter time as a time of slowing down. Instead of dreading the time of increased darkness, they welcome it. They rest more, they read more, they have meals with family more, and that all sounds pretty good. So what I'd like to do today is consider the benefits of darkness. So often we think of light as good and darkness as bad. We want to drive out the darkness and bring the light that overcomes darkness. I mean, Scripture is full of references to darkness being a bad thing. And, you know, we tend, as, as fans of duality in our humanity, we tend to jump on that bandwagon. But darkness is not all bad. In 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 12, we read, The Lord has said that he would dwell. In thick darkness. The God of my understanding is big enough to be both in the light and the dark. So I want to spend some time talking about what it might be like for us to spend a little time in the darkness. When I think about walking in darkness, I think about how we usually need a light source to be able to see where we're going. You know, even with the light source, when you're walking in the dark, you have to have patience. You have to walk more mindfully. You need to pay attention to detail. This attention and slowness in the dark is in contrast to what we often experience this time of year. This is Christmas time, right? Lots of doing and shopping and get-togethers and an increase in obligations. You know, Christmas is a joyous celebration of the light, of Christ coming into the world. And that's great. But before we jump into that, we're invited to balance all of that doing with the slower, more thoughtful invitation of the dark. Now, if you're walking in the dark, you might use a flashlight or a lantern. And if you've ever used either one of those, then you know you can only see just what's a few feet ahead of you. You can only see what's directly around you when you're walking in the dark with a flashlight. Psalm 119:105 105 says, Your word is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now for me, this means the wisdom and the love of God is with us in the dark. And yet, it does not shine a spotlight really big All around, all the way forward, so we can see everything. There is only light right where our feet are. In the dark, you need to stay present. You need to be here now. You can't be way on down ahead because you can't see that far. You can only see right here. When we walk with God, where the light is, just right around us, it requires faith. You just focus on that next step. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the things we cannot yet see. We don't know what's ahead. We have to just stay in the light that's here and trust that the great goodness has, us, has our path clear going forward. Faith requires we trust whatever it is, we'll be able to navigate it with God's help. You know, my experience in the spiritual life is that it's kind of like being in the CIA. Everything's on a need-to-know basis, right? If you don't need to know, you don't know. You get told what you need to know, and that's it. If you don't know something, then you just have to wait and trust, and that builds our faith. So we can say thank you to the darkness for the time of not knowing, for the time that increases our faith. Joan Chittister is a Benedictine nun and a theologian, and she says this. I love this quote. I just came across this this week. There is a light in us that only darkness itself can illuminate. It is the glowing calm that comes over us when we finally surrender to the ultimate truth of creation, that there is a God and we are not it. We need the darkness to help grow the light of faith in us. We have to trust that the God of our understanding is clearing the way, that the Spirit which guides us will guide us true. Let's look at that 1 Kings verse again. It says, The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. I don't know about you, but I prefer a God who dwells in darkness. I prefer a God that is enshrouded in mystery. Now, just because God's in darkness doesn't mean that there aren't times of connection with my God. I enjoy feeling seen and cared for by my God, but what I don't want is a God that is so small that I could know that God completely. It can be frustrating to not understand the great mystery. But ultimately, it can afford us more comfort to know that God is too big and too vast to be defined and confined to our small definitions and parameters. You all ever notice how things look spookier in the dark? Even the most familiar shapes can look odd and unfamiliar. Our brains do not like mystery. They don't like darkness. Our brains tell us scary stories in the dark and have, sometimes having us, have us seeing danger when there isn't any. This actually served a function to keep us alive. Lots and lots of years ago, when our uh, caveman ancestors needed to be on high alert because there was always saber-toothed tigers around, right? Head had to be on a swivel. They had to be cautious. Their brains needed them to see danger all the time. Well, even though we don't have any saber-toothed tigers running around, we still have the same brains, when we can't perceive something, when we can't figure out what something is, our brains tend to tell us a scary story. I know you all have had this happen. You've had a coworker walk by you in the hallway and not say hello when they usually say hello, and you're making up a story in your head about, oh my gosh, they're mad at me, what did I do? You're going through the file of your memory trying to figure out what you did wrong, right? Your brain doesn't know, and so it makes up a scary story. Turns out they had a bad burrito last night. They don't feel very well. <laughs> had nothing to do with you. So we interpret. We can interpret things in our environment as scarier than they actually are. We do that with people, too. When we see something in another person that we don't understand or that we might not like, it scares us a little bit. Our brain tells us a scary story. You see that person over there? who's different than you, there's something wrong with them. You see that person who's always watching Fox News and wearing a MAGA hat? There's something malevolent in them. All the alarms go off. I tell my, the folks I do therapy with, when they're getting scared over something that maybe they don't need to get scared about, it's like when you're cooking tater tots and the smoke alarm goes off, right? Because the smoke alarm thinks there's too much heat and it thinks that the house is on fire. No, smoke alarm, I'm just cooking tater tots. Right, You can tell your brain that too. No brain, I'm just cooking tater tots. It's okay. (laughs) So we see that darkness in another. And it's scary. And if that darkness is unfamiliar to us because we're not acquainted with our own shadow, with our own darkness, then it scares us to see that same shadow reflected in somebody else. You know, y'all, I hate to break it to you. We're just mirrors. We're just mirrors for each other. So that darkness that we see in someone else, it can be scary if we don't know ourselves well. So it's so important for us to know the shadow in ourselves. It's vital for me to know my own selfishness, my own racism, my own greed. That way, when I see it in another, it's familiar to me. It's a known quantity. Oh, hello there, selfishness. Yes, I do that too. Oh, hello there, anger. Hello there, jealousy. Yes, you are also in me. The more familiar my darkness is, the more I accept that I have those qualities in myself, then the easier it is for me to not react and to not be fearful when I see those qualities in someone else. It's easier for me to have compassion for others if I'm familiar with those qualities in myself. To explain this a little further, I came across a teaching the other day I thought was so helpful, and this is it. When humans are born, We come into this world totally helpless. We need absolute and total care. So we learn from infancy that we have to be cared for in order to survive. We learn that love is life. Love is life. If we're not cared for, if we're rejected and set aside, we would die as infants. This programming continues with us all of our lives. It never goes away. So even though once you've reached a certain age, you can look after yourself, there's still this deep-seated fear of rejection. There's this deep-seated fear that if you don't have love, you'll die. So as adults, when we experience rejection, or even the possibility of rejection, if we're fearful of rejection, it can feel like dying, in a sense. You can live in less fear if you know that this, too, is a part of your shadow, you know, I'm wondering how I, how you might experience relationships differently, if I was able, if you're able, to hold this in your awareness? How might our lives be different if instead of shining the light, we settled in and spent some time in the dark corners of our own hearts, getting familiar with those darker parts of ourselves? So I talked about how darkness can help grow our faith. I talked about how it can get us more comfortable with the parts of ourselves we prefer to keep in the shadows. The third invitation of darkness is the invitation to rest. When a composer writes a symphony, they don't write note after note after note after note after note. There are rests between the notes, the pauses, the spaces between the notes. The places where the musicians are asked to stop playing, those are just as important. You know, rest is also an essential part of the creative process. When we look at the creation story, even the divine rested. Do you think God had to rest because God was tired? Probably not. Resting creates space. It creates room. If our lives are crammed full of stuff and things and people and activities, where is there room for the divine? Where is there room for the miraculous? Where is there space for anything? We need rest. We need to create spaciousness to see what new delight the great goodness might bring. As we experience this time of increasing darkness... Perhaps it's a call to rest, to slow down, to allow some space between the busy, to allow some quiet instead of all the noise. Without quiet, how can you hear the voice of God whispering God's words of love into your heart? I think it's important to remember that God is described in scripture as being both Darkness and light. God is both. You know, I mentioned before our human tendency towards dualism. Light and dark, choose one or the other. It can be helpful to remember that if God is both light and dark, then we, as being created in the image of God, are also both light and dark. I think it's wonderful to celebrate the light. That can be glorious. And yet there are things that can only grow in the dark. Seeds germinate in the dark. Babies grow in the sweet darkness of their mother's womb. Beautiful things can grow in the dark. I encourage you, as we enter into this time of increased darkness, for you to embrace the ways the darkness can serve you. Let the darkness be a reminder of the great goodness Let it be a reminder of the way your faith is enhanced when you can only see just a little ways ahead. I encourage you to remember that the darkness within us is very similar to the darkness within others. And this time is an invitation to spend more time with our shadow. We're further invited to go a little bit more slowly during this time of the dark, to invite more rest and quiet in our lives. I wanna finish up with this. This is a poem that was written by Langston Hughes. He wrote it to honor Helen Keller. She was blind and deaf from birth. She lived with great darkness and yet shone tremendous light. She in the dark found light brighter than many ever see. She within herself found loveliness through the soul's own mastery. And now the world receives from her dower the message of the strength of inner power. May you use this time of darkness to find more faith, to know yourself more deeply, and to rest. May you find your power in the dark. Thank you.